He was a hero to some, a villain to others. And wherever he rode, people spoke his name in whispers. He had no friends, this Jonah Hex. But he did have two companions. One was death itself. The other, the acrid smell of gun smoke. Hex. Welcome to, of course, the very first episode of Hex and Violence, and uh, I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Casey Dorn, and welcome. This is exciting. You Hopefully you've just listened to episode zero, so we can tee it up. So we'll assume you know about who Jonah Hex is and uh, why we like him so much. Yeah, and one of the things I think we're going to try to do as often as we do these episodes is try to find a common theme when mm. we look at a Hex of two eras, mm. uh, Jonah Hex in the 1970s and then Jonah Hex again in a more modern context. Mm. And we decided that we might call this episode First Impressions. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Because we were going to, we decided that we wanted to sort of intro the character for you, the audience, who may never have picked up a Jonah Hex book. And so we decided to take Jonah Hex's first appearance in 72, I think it was, right? With All Star Western number 10. And also the number one issue for his 2005 sort of reboot. Uh, series as well. So look at two number ones. Yeah, how this character has been introduced in these two different eras, how he's been probably introduced to a whole new audience. And, yeah, of uh, course. That writers who had grown up reading him as kids and love watching a horribly scarred man kill bad guys. Because <laughs> who doesn't fucking love that? <laughs> well, they deserved it. So we're going to get into Hex's very first appearance in All-Star Western number 10. This was a story entitled Welcome to Paradise, written by his co-creators, John Albano, and art by Tony Zazuniga. The small town of Paradise Corners has hired feared bounty hunter Jonah Hex to deal with the murderous gang led by Big Jim. And our story opens with Hex dragging two of the gang's corpses from the back of his horse through the town's muddy streets on his way to collect his bounty. After being paid $100 a head from the town's squeamish business leaders, he learns that he's returned just in time, that three more of Big Jim's raiders are currently in the town saloon. Hex manages to ambush the raiders by climbing in the back window of the saloon and shoots two of them in the back while they lay in wait at the saloon doors ready to ambush him. The third raider manages to flee through the saloon doors, and before Hex can shoot him as he's riding off, he crashes into a young boy, causing the shot to go wild and allows the criminal to escape. The kid is a mouthy brat, and who is apparently unafraid of disfigured men who carry <laughs> large guns, and tells Hex to watch where he's going. Hex, in turn, tells the kid to learn some manners and tells him to get... <laughs> Hex deposited the two new corpses that he'd managed to create in the town leader's care and tells them that he'll collect on that bounty after he finishes the job. But for now, he can track that third escaped criminal back to the gang's hideout. At the hideout, Big Jim and the escaped raider have the same sort of conversation about Hex that criminals usually have about Batman. <laughs> the man ain't human. He's some kind of demon. He'll find us. But Big Jim doesn't understand how three men couldn't outgun one ugly man. 
and he just can't, he practically has to threaten this last goon to go out to collect some well water to make a pot of coffee. Hex is waiting for him in the shadows near the well, and as the light of a lit cigarette, we finally see the half-destroyed face of Jonah Hex, just before he guns that goon down. Big Jim books it out the back, and like a victim in a horror movie, sees Hex in every shadow, as the bounty hunter follows him with the slow, deliberate pace of a Jason Voorhees. (laughs) Big Jim takes a woman hostage at a nearby farmhouse, and we quickly learn that this woman is the mother of the mouthy kid who bumped into Hex in town. He begs that Hex save his mother. After a little bit of hesitation, Hex removes his gun belt and drops it, noting that this is the only to get that kid to shut up. Big Jim drops drops a fainted woman and retreats on the back of a nearby horse to escape, turning his back just fast enough for Hex to pull a hidden knife from behind his back and chuck it between the shoulder blades of Big Jim killing him. In town, Hex goes to collect his bounty and conversation turns to the woman and the boy from the nearby farmhouse. The woman is a widow, and her husband had been killed in an Indian raid years back, and they're about to lose their farm and owe about $400 in back taxes. Hex tells the men to take the taxes out of his pay, and further shocks the town's leaders by saying he'd like to settle down in Paradise Corners. Uh, they'd, um, uh, uh, <laughs> they, they'd be uh, happy to, to have Hex buy a plot of land in town, but um, uh, there are none available. Uh, yeah. Hex tells him to keep their stinking desert hole and rides out to check in on the widow and her son. A rifle shot takes Hex's hat off as he approaches the farm as the widow tells Hex to stay the hell away. She doesn't want him around, and she hates the idea of her son looking up to a killer like him. Hex rides off, and just as he's leaving town, he sees the boy with a kerchief on a stick. Bring me along, mister. Hex tells him, pound sand before riding off into the sunset he hates you he hates you like poison (laughs) before passing the nearby sign that reads welcome to paradise corners and hex just punches the shit out of that sign (laughs) before riding off into the sunset ah it's it's what's so glorious is that he's the he's the one-third of this copy of all-star western number 10 the other two characters are el diablo and batlash and so overshadowed uh, so overshadowed them that what three episodes later it's all Jonah Hex it's all Hex <laughs> it's all Hex maybe somebody gets a five page backup sure but this stopped being an anthology book and became a Jonah Hex series I mean he is he's like the Terminator like he's utterly unstoppable but in and of course people are, are uh, sort of are, are sort of whispering uh, and bemoaning him as like he's like he's, he's not human like and he just he keeps going and he keeps going and then the bad guy's gonna eat it he's absolutely gonna eat it I and you just it. see that. I love this, just that Batman moment. We're like, oh, my God. And he shoots at this tree stump that kind of looks like a guy <laughs> yeah. on a horse. There's a, there's a, you, what, what I found is that there's a lot of this. There's a lot of, like, misdirection where the bad guy shoots at something that's not a Jonah Hex, like or, dummies or whatever. It seems to happen a lot. It's a common theme. Oh, yeah. They always try to ambush him, and he always turns the tables. What I like yep. is that the very short, first shot we have in this series is him dragging corpses <laughs> through town. <laughs> yeah. That yes. right off the bat, we know what this dude is about. I like that they kind of keep his face in shadows in this first Of course, story. yeah, and and the reveal of, like, lighting the match, where you first see, like, the bulging eye and the droopy scar, is it's fantastic reveal. Oh, I love it. Because his face is just turned the other, you know, turned the other direction, so you 
don't get to see what it is. I, what other the characters' reactions are having to him. I, this is really where Tony Dezidini's art shines, is that there's a grittiness to this. There's an organic ugliness that you don't get in a lot of superheroes, because superheroes are all about sort of that idealized form. Mm-hmm. They are the coolest, most handsome guy in the world. And there's a there's a nastiness to this world. It's sort of the Deadwood Western, where you don't have people looking like, oh, gee, mister, it looks like these people do live in a town that has dirt roads. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I like the fact that right off the bat, Jonah Hex shoots a lot of people in the back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, I think the thing that I think the thing that I noticed um the the most is and maybe this is par for the course for comic books written in the 70s is is it's so dialogue heavy there's so many words uh there's a lot of telling and not showing and uh, maybe telling and showing and there's even so much thought bubbles that are sort of overly explaining um what's going on or what someone's going to do it almost like it's it it, maybe it's just an era where they're afraid to let the visually tell the story, but every panel has words in it. Oh, yeah. It's definitely something where we see the evolution of comic books. Yeah. Um, this is from the what they call the Bronze Age between the mid-70s and the mid-80s. So you were kind of moving in the direction of modern comics, and it was a lot more decompressed than Silver Age and Golden Age stuff, which would have told this story in eight pages right. <laughs> rather than right. like 20. Right. Um, but yeah, I think you can see that a definite modern era comic has fewer words and does it more visually. There's more of an influence of film in it. Mm-hmm. But the thing I, just, I really love is that without saying anything, Hex kills the last bad guy when his back is turned. I mean, of these course. are the sort of kills that a Klingon would be livid about. <laughs> he doesn't. There's a practicality to him that I like. Well, and he doesn't. He's not. He's not. Uh, there's no. There's. There's no code of chivalry that's uh, preventing him from dispatching deeply. Uh, like malicious and evil people like they're evil people so if it's a if it's a crooked old lady in a wheelchair he'll kick her off a cliff yeah, you know like that's like that he d- it doesn't matter he doesn't no one has to be the, he's not a bounty hunter that has to take you know he's not uh john ruth the hangman yeah he, you know is you know from uh it's, hateful eight he's gonna kill you and he's gonna kill you in the most uh, the quickest easiest way possible and not put himself in unnecessary danger out of a sense of honor right he's not gonna go here i'm gonna throw down my gun so we can have a fist fight no He's going to like, no, I'll do this so you don't kill that person. But the minute your back is turned, I have another weapon that I didn't throw on the ground. And I don't care about honor in that regard because that's bullshit. There's only I'm alive and you're dead. Right. And I'm not going to be stupid because that's what that's what good guys do. Um, I do kind of like that. I mean, at the same time, when he ambushes those guys in the saloon, he threatens a prostitute. <laughs> yes. Yeah, climbing through a window because he doesn't want her to haul her out. Yeah, you know? and he just he says something like he's gonna, he, you know, he'll turn her pretty face unpretty right quick <laughs> if she makes a noise and gives away his position and puts him in danger. And you actually don't know what kind of character Jonah Hex is because there there is the suspicion. That you have, and just first looking at the panel, that he actually is going to hurt her, but you realize that it's not—he's not doing it because he's like, you know, he's a sadist. He's doing it because he needs to get the drop on these guys, you know. And he's gonna—he'll do it in—he'll—he'll he'll, he'll do guerrilla warfare, like right. Yeah, he's not gonna—he's not gonna challenge them to meet him one on one in the street and settle this like men the way a lot of these heroes do. He's like, no, I'm going in through the back. <laughs> I have an advantage where. They know I'm here. I know they're here, but they don't know I know. Yeah. And of course I'm going to go to the saloon. So they just figure they just get the drop on him, but he gets the drop on them. And that illustrates what you would set up in the, you know, our episode 0, which is that Jonah Hex is smart. 
Jonah actually actually does he actually does have an out. He has even if he doesn't have a plan in the moment, he's always got a redundancy somewhere. Yeah, there's an element to this guy that isn't just I'm going to run in like the Terminator where I'm not afraid of getting shot, that I am vulnerable. I'm not bulletproof. You're right. He is more Batman than Terminator for sure because that Batman does have a plan and Jonah Hex does too. Except Jonah Hex is not afraid of killing. Yeah, no. (laughs) No. That's the thing. I don't think Batman would hit you in the back that way. He'd probably do stuff to throw you off your game, but he'd still do it to your face. (laughs) Jonah Hex will scare you and while you're running away scared, then he's going to throw a knife at your back. Then he's going to hit you with like a, a rope and drag you into a lie pit or something <laughs> then he's gonna hang you he's he doesn't care he'll grab you out of your bed <laughs> and i just I, I what i love about this is uh too is um this establishes the first one establishes really how close to the tv western formula that part of the jonah hex sort of style is i mean he's the guy that doesn't have much to say he's uh he's just using usually helping the townsfolk out you know he, mm-hmm. he does this often um bandits and bushwhackers are the bad guys uh you know he'll walk into the sunset at the end and and above all he is honorable and he's generous and he has and he does protect the innocent and he does try to make things right as much as he can even though he's in a lawless you know place you know he's in a lawless land populated by murderers and malcontents and you get the the same thing there's a trope that pops up in a lot of conan stories which is the the treacherousness and the hypocrisy of quote-unquote civilized people Mm. and Mm. that these are all upstanding business leaders and citizens who have top hats and 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 uh, have shiny buttons on their jackets and stuff like that and these are all people who are happy to use people like hex for the service he provides and they're too squeamish to do that stuff themselves but they want the they're not above it happening they just don't want to have to see it right um and the minute they don't need him anymore the minute the job is done he becomes a brute that they just want out of town because he's going to bring down property values yeah they mention something about it it, because they're talking about him as he leaves and they're saying like he should just go back with his savages back to where he not in an honest place like this and i didn't know if this was this is probably a case where they were trying to draw the parallel between jonah hex and native americans and indians mm. as the, they used to call them savages right the heathens and savages um and of course there is a connection between jonah hex's life and indians but he's sort of treated in that same way where he's someone who can't possibly belong to polite society he doesn't fit in polite society civilization i it's, i'm not even going to say my life has been like jonah hex's <laughs> but um when you're somebody who kind of knows how to draw but you're not a popular kid that other people in the group don't like you you get grabbed for a lot of group projects and people are super nice to you because they really just want to use you (laughs) for their project they don't give a shit about you the minute that stuff's done you get that moment in every movie where they're chasing you away with fucking rocks and you're just like you know what fuck you people and i think Hex gives people an opportunity to to hang themselves with their own words, mm-hmm. but he's still somebody who, at the end, is not afraid of of subverting that moment with a little kid. Where it's kind of like you know, it's like a Coke commercial. It's like, gee, Mister, you're not so mean. He's just like, beat it, kid. No, he does the Harry and the Hendersons. Get out of here! Get out of here! Yeah, you know, he of course he doesn't hate him like poison, but it's the one thing that's going to keep him safe. You know, yeah, yeah, that it's just not safe being around him. That you know, as they say, death follows this guy around. Yeah. I, he's, you know, and I, I sort of had this thought here that you get that glorious moment of pathos with him at the end where you see the glimpse of what he might want to do with his life. Like marrying this woman and taking care of this child is something that he might have had. He's probably still holds on a little glimmer of hope that he might actually have this one day. But you can tell that 
his past, his reputation, his face. Yeah. And the prejudices of others make it just impossible for him to have any semblance of a normal life. And that's sort of part of the heartache for the character. That the one thing that makes him indispensable is a thing that makes people want to use him. And once you're done, fuck off. (laughs) And, you know, we don't want to see you around here anymore. And there is a kind of a Conan story that follows the same thing where I think Conan saves some prince from some dungeon. And oh, the whole ride back, Conan is being told, oh, we're going to name a holiday after you. There's these statues. We're going to rain all this stuff down on you. You're going to be captain of my guard. And, you're... and the minute that they get to the borders of this guy's kingdom, Conan just kind of pulls a knife and goes, okay, that's far enough. <laughs> uh, listen, this isn't the first time I've done this. You're not the first person who said they're going to shower riches down on me before kicking me out of town like a dog. I'll take what you got on you right now. <laughs> Takes his small packet of gold and says, think we're even, and just rides off for that guy. He's just on the borders of his land, so he's safe. So fuck this. I'm not a sap. And I think Hex is kind of like that, but there's that little part of him that I think is a little bit more sentimental than Conan, that he kind mm-hmm. of wants and yearns for the possibility of that life, that he could be something more than just a killer, because I think people are constantly telling him he's just a killer. and. Yeah. He gets that door slammed in his face so many times, and he he's a cynic, but I think he's kind of a damaged romantic on some level. Yeah, I think he's equal parts pariah and paragon. I think uh, in the in the, those fact those two things are actually contradictory, but he himself is a contradiction. I mean, the, the whole Janus aspect of having one half monster, one half handsome man. You know, absolutely. So let's take a quick break, yes. and we'll be back with another Jonah Hex story. Allegedly, soccer is a beautiful game. It is when you know what's going on. That's the problem. MLS is 20 years old, and people are still shocked to hear that there's an American Soccer League. That's why you and I are talking about it. This is a discussion of American soccer for nerds and beginners. It's a good first step if a crippling soccer addiction is something that's missing from your life. Join the club. Celebrate the 20th anniversary of MLS by actually following the season. Hands-Free Football. New episodes every week at handsfreefootball.com. Okay, uh, next up, we were looking at Jonah Hex number one. This is the first of the sort of re-release comic from January 2006, written by Justin Gray and Jimmy Palmiotti and drawn by Luke Ross. After eradicating a gang of bandits, Hex shoots down his partner for, presumably, killing an Apache Indian. Following his code of honor, Hex only dispatches him after the man reaches for his gun on the ground, and he does so with a well-placed tomahawk to the brain pan. Hex is then summoned to the estate of a wealthy man who is confined to a wheelchair after hunting elephants in Africa to be employed to find this man's missing son. He hires Hex as a last resort, as the law and the Pinkertons have been able to deliver. Hex agrees, but reminds him that his son may be dead. Hex eventually tracks down a circus run by a man named Victor Romanoff, who runs a dogfighting show where children armed with giant metal claws fight starving, vicious canines. After the dogfight... Hex confronts Romanoff and discovers the stable of pitiful children that Romanoff has enslaved and is rebuffed when he inquires about the missing boy. Romanoff then sends his heavies to make sure Hex, quote, rolls over onto his bowie knife, unquote, while sleeping that that night. But Hex leaves a dummy by his campfire and gets the jump on them. Hex returns to the circus and subdues Romanoff, forcing him to confess that he did indeed kidnap the missing boy, but that the boy was stricken with rabies and is on his deathbed. The camp's doctor says that the boy only has a day left to live in agony before dying. 
and Hex chooses to smother the boy with a pillow rather than, le- than letting him live in agony. Hex compels the doctor to find good homes for the children and gives Romanoff his just desserts, ties him up, splashes him with pig's blood and guts, and lets loose his own ravenous dogs on him. Hex returns to the wealthy man with his son in a pine box and lets him know that his boy died honorably, died fighting. And after having taken his pay, Hex rides off. I really love this story. It's just something that's so visceral and brutal about someone who makes their living off of having children fight animals. Yeah. It's so fucking brutal. And you notice the outfit that the kids are wearing look a lot like Vega from Street Fighter <laughs> that 2? Was, that was my first thought is, yeah, he definitely does look like Vega. Where they have this big padded leather outfit with this suit that has like a, ma- a flat mask with sort of slits like a like a shy guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> from uh, from Mario Brothers 2. Right. And they have that one claw in one hand and this padded leather outfit. And they're just going in there with like a pit bull and fighting it. I think that one kid manages to win because a dog pounces on him and onto the claw. Yeah, it's well. I mean, what's in, what's incredible is you you get the reveal after the the dog fight that he enters into this room and there's like eight or nine other little boys who their 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 clothes are all stained with blood and they're all bruised up. And so Hex says something like, "There ain't no law that says you can't do this here," but but he warns him. You know, yeah, he gives it's, him. A- yeah, there's frontier justice, and then there's right. the law, because the law can't do anything in this. The, a guy like Hex is this guy's worst nightmare. And the same thing, too. He's, the first thing he sees is he smacks that one kid who's complaining about wanting more food, and Hex just beats the shit out of this guy, <laughs> pulls a gun on him as the guy's bodyguard uh, is about to draw on Hex, and the guy's like, man, are you crazy? You know who this man is you're about to fight? And gets his bodyguard to back down. It's it's kind of that one um, Brock Sampson moment from Venture Brothers. He's like, get off that man before he kills you. <laughs> well, I, mean, I think we sh- we're speaking out of turn. So at the very beginning, you see uh, what's sort of beautiful is there's these these panels where you're seeing billowing greenbacks and you're sort of they're doing this really poetic narration in terms of who Jonah Hex is. And you're, you're basically arrived kind of like a Reservoir Dogs thing. You're kind of arrived after the massacre of this bandit gang and you have no idea what happened except that jonah hex is about ready to draw on his partner james um and he hex looks at it as i think this guy killed an indian and the apaches are after him and uh we don't know why but hex is basically giving him the good death yeah it's sort of implied that there may be a rape involved yeah there's something really happening he says like if the apaches get you you'll wish that i shot you and, you know, when they find out what you did to that woman and uh, he does that thing. But I love just the idea of the, the bags of money that had been stolen have been torn open or shot and they're kind of raining down on them. And the guy's like, come on, Hex, we can just take this all. No one will ever know. And Hex just says, I will. <laughs> I, I love it. The tomahawk to the head. Like, it's, oh, it's great. It's great. <laughs> and Well, and of course, it introduces, introduces the idea that, um, you know, there's a part of his past that lies with the the Apache with the Indians and it's you know alluded to but but not explicitly stated here so part of the mystique of the character um there's actually a bit of narration at the beginning that i really liked and it says taking more than 3 decades of trials and unimaginable suffering as evidence he could say with every measure of confidence that god hated him <laughs> and to his credit jonah returned the favor as often as he could when a man knows there's no place in heaven waiting on him, then he'd best way wise to cozy up to the devil. And so Jonah took it upon himself to dispatch as many sinners as hell could accommodate <laughs> and never look back. 
I, the, I think that the, the part that it came out the, the most interesting to me is there's this um, there's this refrain that he does twice. Seems fair. Seems fair. Uh, so he meets the the rich man who's looking for his son, and he uh, his his uh, three corn fed beautiful daughters treat him suspiciously, but then call him inside and give him a man's drink. And so he walks into this very wealthy man's parlor, and there's a photograph of him uh, holding two giant elephant tusks. And the man says, uh, "You know, I, I I sure beat that elephant, but he put me in this chair." And his response is, "Seems fair." Yeah, and uh, that's of course what exactly what he says when the dogs kill Romanov at the end, when tied up, uh, covered with pig's guts. The fact that he says this to the man in a wheelchair to his face, <laughs> yeah. just like you killed it, fair trade. But I mean, th- think about the the world in which Hex lives. Is I mean, he lives in the old west. There, you know, there's no such thing as a vegetarian, yeah. right? Uh, Animals are wild and dangerous, and people kill buffalo by the millions where he is. Um, but he even recognizes that killing for sport of, of an elephant just to get their tusks is kind of foolish. You and know? that the elephant got its licks in. Yeah. And he's just like, <laughs> you fought it, it got you back. <laughs> I, I, just the seems fair. It's just so casually no fucks to give that I kind of love. He just Because he's about to get a job from this guy, and he's just like, yeah, fair enough. Uh, but it's and what also uh, sort of roundly illustrates his character is that the law and the Pinkertons, which if you if any of our listeners don't know, the Pinkertons were like the detective, the national detective agency of note. If you wanted someone to be found or maybe killed, or if you wanted evidence to be uh, discovered, you hired the Pinkertons, and they would send you know a rough and tumble, hopefully clever guy anywhere in the country. Uh, the Pinkertons can't even find this guy, but Hex takes a day to find him. Yeah, you know? the, the, this guy's who the renowned uh, sort of private police force that existed yeah. before the government was really reaching into the West. This is before, of course, they became famous for beating up on labor activists right. around the turn of the century right. as bully men. But yeah, the, the Pinkertons can't find him, finds him in a day. I yeah. mean, Hex is just that good. But Hex also isn't afraid to push harder than most people are. Like, I think the Pinkertons probably wouldn't have beat the shit out of that circus owner when seeing him beat that guy up, uh, beat up that that child mm-hmm. who wanted more food, mm-hmm. that he's he's not going to hold back. And, I mean, the way he questions to get answers out of those people who show up to, to kill him in his sleep is there, there's the one heavy, and then there's that one guy who kind of looks like Dalsim from <laughs> Street Fighter 2. He's this yeah. lanky, tall guy covered in tattoos as part of the circus. Right, right. Um, Wait, he's not the guy who has the weird lobster hand. Like that's a strange. Did you notice that? I didn't notice. So that. that's a strange choice. One of the one of the bushwhackers who tries to sneak in and knife uh, Hex in the dark. You see a scene. He's sort of like, should I shoot him? And and the Romanov says, no, no, take care of him while he's asleep. And he has basically he has two appendages on his hand, and he's smoking a cigarette between a giant grotesque thumb and like another little flipper finger. And I love how they just add that little. That little element in there where they just have like a circus freak because of course it's a circus and he's and he's going to do a grotesque thing which is murder a man in their sleep. But yeah, I, I just love the idea of uh, the guy. He's about to he asks the question to the tall tattooed guy with yeah. the, the circus freak guy, and the other guy goes, "Well, he's mute," and he just turns and shoots one of the dude's ears off. Yes. <laughs> and uh, the guy's like, "Oh, oh god, oh god, I'll talk." He's like, "You better, you're gonna have a match and set." <laughs> I mean. Hex is not afraid to get fucking dirty. But yeah, it just shoots a dude's ear off and like from about 10 paces. I mean, you just see what a badass this guy is. Yeah, and it's clear. I mean, at the very beginning, the first panel 
or the first uh, big shot that you have is seeing Hex and his partner with a slaughtered camp of bandits and you've got to imagine um they never had a chance is no. that the hex is so fucking good that he can take on two dozen guys mm-hmm. um and uh he's not gonna he's not gonna be anywhere near those bullets but you notice also the practicality in that is that he waited until the bandits were taken out to take this guy to task for the right. the murder and or rape he possibly committed right i need you in this moment i don't need you anymore and right now justice needs to be served right right and uh, the guy just doesn't seem to understand when Jonah's just like, I can't live with me if I if I don't do this. So you can't live with me. Yeah, and I think the I think the uh, the what's also emblematic is that um, he instead of telling him the the man whose son he's looking for, instead of telling him a lie, he gives his son back. I mean, first he gives he gives the honorable death to the boy who's dying of rabies and who's going to have only a single day left to live in agony, he smothers him with a pillow. I mean, he, he gives him, he lets him have respite, basically. And um, he gives a lie to his father that he's basically said he died fighting, um, which is not technically true, I guess. Yeah, if you want to get super technical. But again, given that somebody, I mean, he could have just been throwing it in the kid's face that, oh, he died in a bed sweating and scared and shaking. But, you know, he's not cruel in that way. He's cruel yeah. to people who deserve cruelty, mm-hmm. but he's remarkably kind to people that are in vulnerable situations. And he sticks up for people in those situations. Like, what was it that he says when, you know, Hex sees him, you know, slapping that kid around? He says, like, oh, these boys need a firm guiding hand. He says, like, how about more guidance, a bit less hand? <laughs> <laughs> Right, right. And again, he gives him like a fucking Ramsey Bolton death at the end that you live <laughs> yeah. by the, the dog kills and you, you die by the dog kills. Um, he throws him this guy, the, the pig's blood. The look of horror on the doctor's face is great because you don't actually see viscera being ripped out of Romanov's body, but you see the the sort of the, the camp doctor who has been a collaborator, obviously, in this terrible trade with Romanov. He's been helping patch up the boys when they get hurt in these fights. And you just see this look of complete horror on his face as what the dogs are doing. So you don't even really need to show, obviously, vicious canines ripping out a man's flesh. You, you know? don't. I, I love that you just see the guy tied, you know, waking up on his knees in the middle of that and hit in the side with the blood <laughs> like it's out of a pail. Yeah. And he goes like, oh, oh. And... And Hex's dialogue, which I wrote down, is normally I'd hang you, but I figure your actions warrant something really cruel and unusual. <laughs> oh, uh-huh. it's it's such a, it again, it's a Jonah Hex kind of justice, where this is what you did to other people, and this is how you deserve to end. Yeah, I, I think I I think this is we had this discussion I think when we did a Radio versus the Martian on Quentin Tarantino, where there's the sort of visceral fucked up kind of violence, and then there's the fuck yeah kind of violence. And I think Jonah Hex is able to do both of those things very well, um, where the violence that you don't like to see is, uh, but and they treat it gracefully as Jonah Hex having to kill a boy in his bed because he doesn't want him to live that last bit of, of rabies. Um, but you are going to see him, you know, blow holes in, in bandits' chests because fuck yeah, they deserve it. Of yeah. course they're going to deserve it. They're able to do that balance really well because violence is the way in which plot the plot is moved along in a Jonah Hex, uh, uh, Jonah Hex story. And they're going to use it to uh, illustrate the morality of the character. And I think that it's done masterfully. Yeah, the, this is a guy who... 
I guess you could say he's a weight on the other end of the scales, so to speak, is that there's this unfair, nasty violence done all the time to innocent, vulnerable people. And here's a guy who does that exact kind of unfair, nasty, <laughs> vicious, you will die screaming type violence, but does it to people who deserve it. Yeah. And I, I just kind of love it. And actually, I might disagree with you a little bit on the end of the story. It looks kind of like he's refusing payment. Oh, does he? It looks a little bit like he's getting on his horse oh. while the guy's getting his checkbook out. And he looks like he's just kind of like, I can't take It's It's a bit vague. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't catch that at all. I, I, I actually didn't catch it at first. And then I'm sort of up in the air, but it kind of looks like he might be just going... I can't take money for this. And that would be in character because at the very beginning, of course, is all of the money from the bandit raid just flying off into the flying off into the stratosphere and he just doesn't care. It's yeah. interesting because he has a kind of code where there's shit he just can't live with and there's shit that he can. He can live with a lot of nasty shit. He can live with a guy chewed up by dogs, but he's not going to rob anybody. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's it's an interesting code. Again, we get into that kind of... Sandor Clegane, the hound kind of morality. Yeah. There's things I won't do and there's things I will. And there's things I will when they suddenly become necessary. Like, yeah, I'll kill my partner when he deserves it, but I have to, I have to kill these other bad men first. <laughs> well, should we move on to uh, the Coupe de Grasse, the, uh, the kill count? Oh, God. I, I think, I, think I, had, I didn't have any uh, quibbles about your count. So why don't you go for All-Star Western number 10? Okay, so we, we open the story with the two dead gang members being dragged by Jonah Hex's horse through the town. Um, then you have two more shot dead in the back. Yes. In the saloon. Uh, there's that one who had escaped earlier, and he goes out to uh, get well water. Mm-hmm. And Jonah Hex shoots him while he's starting to reach for his gun. <laughs> uh, shoots him down dead. And then finally, Big Jim with a knife to the back. I mean, that's a... Yeah. That's that's a crocodile Dundee knife. <laughs> he would concede that that is indeed a knife. <laughs> oh. oh, okay. So that was six total, right? Yeah, we got six deaths so far. And so Jonah Hex number one. This is u- using your count, which I I I can I confirm. Uh, it's hard to say. Eighteen dead members of the Tompkins gang, and then your math was maybe three quarters of them are done by Jonah Hex because you assume the other guy got got a few kills. I think you're being too generous, but we'll say fourteen. <laughs> James Ronnie, his partner who gets a tomahawk to the to the head. Uh, Jacob Foster, the boy who is, has the mercy kill. And then, of course, Victor Romanoff, the man who is fed to his own dogs. That is a grand total of 17 kills. So altogether, between those two issues, we have 23 people that Jonah Hex has killed. <laughs> and I might throw in a little memorable mention to that guy whose ear he shot off. Yes, that's true. That's true. I, I, I think I think uh, I think think he was just wounded though. You're I would say he wounded. got the lesson. I could see Hex having killed both of them just to be safe, but we don't see it so we can't count it. Right. Yep. Yeah, we have to have some kind of some kind of evidence of a dead body. <laughs> so twenty three out of the three thirty six of the canonical number we're only in the first episode, and we're inching towards 10%. Yeah. <laughs> that is a scary number. Are there any deaths in particular that you really liked out of this one? Uh, I, I mean, obviously, Victor Romanoff's death is the, is the most satisfying. It's clearly the most satisfying. But there's something to be said for when 
when he dispatches James Ronnie, he waits for him to pick up his six his six shooter on the ground, and as he's bending over, then he delivers the tomahawk to the head. I do. <laughs> I love that the the gun that he's picking up isn't just sitting on the ground. It looks like it's been dropped in such a way that the barrel is sticking out of the ground, yeah. and he has to pull it out like Excalibur. <laughs> So it's down there, handle up, and he's just like, see it, see it, grab, and he goes, chunk. And I just love it because it's remarkably both gory and not gory and not graphic, Mm -hmm. where the dude's going back and you just see the silhouette of that thing right between the eyes. (laughs) And uh, yeah, uh, there's a couple things. Jonah Hex has a tendency to sometimes pull back on some tomahawks or like cavalry sabers, and some of those are the Mm -hmm. most fun. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So we're almost ten percent of the way there, folks, and we're only on one episode. We're, we're going to be we're going to be counting those deaths. Giddily, <laughs> we're just going to be glee with glee. And this is a light episode. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is actually a couple of slow days for Jonah Hex. <laughs> There's going to be a couple times where he's killing them at least five and six at a time. <laughs> so uh, with that, we want to thank you for uh, being a part of this. Yeah, and I think we should do one again, one of these again very soon. Absolutely. Um, let us know what you think. Go to RadioVersusTheMartians.com. Uh, let us know if there's hex stories you want to see. Is there a certain theme oh, yeah. you'd like to see us cover? Um, we're definitely open to hearing it. There are, my God, uh, 40, maybe almost 50 issues of Jonah Hex. Uh, years of Jonah Hex. Yes, absolutely. Not just issues. There's well more than 50 <laughs> issues. This is a character that's been going since 72. Since uh, I, It seems he's been killing people since about... Just before Watergate. (laughs) So this is a lot of dead people. So uh, we'll see you guys in the near or distant future. Okay, bye-bye. Hex and Violence is a production of Radio vs. the Martians and is hosted by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. This podcast is recorded in Tacoma, Washington and is edited by Mike Gillis. Our original theme music was written and performed by James Wetzel, and our opening narration was performed by Dan Lombardo. Special thanks to Sam Mulvey, Rob Kelly, James Wetzel, and Dan Lombardo. Please take the time to rate and review us on iTunes and Stitcher, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And you can find us online at RadioVersusTheMartian.com. Six bottles off a fence and not miss a one. Who gives a damn? I could take you.